0: Huntsville and History uncovers the stories of Huntsville, Alabama, the first township of the Alabama Territory and the site of the region's oldest archives. Based on court cases and primary sources of the time, historian John O'Brien and co-host Ben Job guide you through the bizarre, surprising, and sometimes deeply troubling records that make up Huntsville's history. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> okay. The council has been... <laughs> Word for gotten together here. Convened. It's convened. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to go very smoothly, obviously. This is the mystery triumvirate. <laughs> there you, hey, good
1: triumvirate.
0: triumvirate. Nice. Let's no, go make a horse humvirate. a console.
2: Then <laughs> go ahead and bring us in, buddy.
0: Well, I guess welcome to this uh, coronavirus edition of Huntsville, and uh, uh, we have been singled out in different bunkers to talk about the history of Alabama, and I believe we are speaking about suffrage. Uh, Although we are suffering from a quarantine right now, uh, we want to talk about the voting rights people fought for uh, many years ago. And I don't know, I've got a lot of super basic questions. I bet John has a lot of super uh, interesting questions uh, to, to get to Shalice. And Shalice, thank you for joining us. Um, if What is your proper title? Can you give us uh, your proper title?
1: Yeah, <laughs> uh, thanks title? for having me on the pod. I'm a fan. I am um, the archivist at the downtown Huntsville Library. So we have a special collections department and a small local history archive. So my job is to help researchers research with the items in the archive and with the, the heritage collection and the special collections department.
0: So, so tell us about like, our archives in particular have some very, very old records and some of the oldest records in the state, is that right?
1: Yeah, so um, our archive is often mixed, uh, confused with the Madison County Records Center So, um, they're separate archives. Ours is actually more of a community archive. And we do have some very old records, um, but the Madison County archives are more like legal records. So, Uh our archive is, in my opinion, just the most interesting because it has the most random stuff in it.
0: (laughs) Oh, very (laughs) cool. And family
1: Bibles and Native American pottery and umbilical cords. Like, we've got a little bit of everything.
0: How big yeah. is the umbilical cord uh, collection stretched?
1: <laughs> we just have one, thankfully.
0: Just the one?
1: <laughs> just the one! We need yeah. more umbilical cords.
2: I went in there one day and it was one, cause you know, Shalice has been there for two, three years, four years? Two years. Two years. She's been there for two years and I was like, I should go introduce myself. And I went in and I was just like, what's the weirdest thing you have in here? <laughs> This was this was me being like, "Hey, I want to be friends." I was like, "Show me your weirdest stuff." And I was, she was like, "It's an umbilical cord." And, like,
0: <laughs> and how's it preserved? Is it like formaldehyde? Is it up in the jar? Like, dry, did they dry umbilical cords back in the day?
1: Um, I think it dried naturally. And let me tell you, it looks like it looks like if gum like became petrified on the sidewalk and then somebody scraped it up. <laughs>
0: beautiful yeah it's gross do you know the the bloodline this umbilical cord belongs to is this like someone's like hand me down
1: oh yeah it's part of a collection Um, okay yeah there's some end of life papers with it and Mm. a nice photo album of a woman who lived in uh, gunnersville
0: oh very interesting so i got a question on like how do you get into being an archivist Like what was was the point where you, you like, I'm sold on this. This is, I'm definitely doing this. (laughs)
1: Um, yeah, I kind of came into it sideways. I, um, I actually, I have a master's in library and information studies and I, I focused on, uh, public libraries and I, I started working. I've been working for the public library system for about five years now. And it was actually just the first job that, I could apply for after I got my master's degree. I didn't really um, study archives in school. So I had a lot of learning to do when I first started it. Um, But I really just lucked up. And now it's like one of the joys of my life.
0: That's beautiful. (laughs) And John, do you have any uh, particular questions about uh, her archive that haven't been answered yet that you're like
2: no dude I've been like an intern up there I've helped <laughs> put things in boxes like you're not supposed to let people in the back but every archivist that I've encountered at Madison County has been like ah, you do whatever John Like, even in the records center uh, which is run by the probate office like the judge and all that they're just like go for it bud
0: I know you're <laughs> probably like a part-time employee over there by now. Cause you've been like. <laughs>
2: even no, I download everything. <laughs> I download everything and no look wait. at it at home. So I'm just yeah. like, by now.
0: Well, I've got a question too hard. I'm kind of fascinated Some- by like where. Uh, archival stuff comes from because I know John always talks about like the censuses are huge for or sensei. How do, how do you pluralize that? Set me straight. The, C- censuses, <laughs> the census eyes are extremely important, like, and, and just records like uh, agricultural records and a lot of other stuff can be like really valuable. Is there anything like weird that you've found a lot of value historically out of?
1: Oh, that's a good question. Um, Nothing weird. I mean, I, ledgers are really valuable. You can learn a lot from ledgers. Also, correspondence, photographs. To me, I learn a lot from photographs. I'm a visual person. I um, Can't maps. really think of. Oh, the Sanborn maps are cool. Yeah, the um, they're like fire insurance maps that some uh-huh. folks went around and drew. And they, what's the time frame? It's like late 1800s, early 1900s. John.
2: Yeah, it's like. Uh... 1880s or so until up until like 1950 something and like every every small town in the U.S. had at least one Sanborn map made. I know for the city of Madison I've only been able to find one because you know in 1930 the city of Madison was a railroad stop and then they had the cotton gin and that was it. Mm -hmm. Where
1: is that where is that map at John I'm curious.
2: It's on the uh, LOC. Oh, okay. Yeah. What, what is the yeah. LOC for? Oh, Library of Congress.
0: Oh, okay. Just make it. Just make it sure.
2: Yeah. <laughs> we were talking about this when we were waiting. This is, this the is why
0: I'm here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. With my half a brain.
1: What is that?
0: <laughs> I actually yeah, got yeah. some cabinet damage recently, so it's like it's definitely on overdrive today. So. so, so oh like, no.
1: It's
0: fun. <laughs> but, I, I gotta. I've just been thinking of questions because you guys are interesting people. But is there any words you've come across in the old records that you feel like need a comeback, or like, are just great words that they don't use no more, <laughs> or are they all bad?
1: <laughs> uh, a lot of abbreviations where I'm like, what the? Oh my gosh, how am I supposed to interpret this?
2: Infangled. Infangled. <laughs> Infangled. One of my favorite divorce records of all time was a woman in Alabama suing for divorce from a guy that had fled to the Republic of Texas. And she talked about how she, after he had abandoned his family in Alabama, he went to Arkansas and infangled his cousin and convinced her to become his concubine and flee to the Republic (laughs) of Texas.
1: Leave your cousin alone, dude.
0: <laughs> Dang. I mean, it was it was eighteen twenty. Like, who else were you gonna marry? I feel like the next da- big dating app in Fangler is gonna in Fangler. Off. <laughs> 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 you sit. You can only send written documents. That's the thing about this dating app.
2: It's just letters, man. Just. <laughs>
0: I literally, like, I tried to start a writing group once and the only, the only like thing about the group was that you had to write me back. Like that was the only <laughs> barrier of entrance and I got one letter back out of seven and I was very sad. Aww. You guys write, are you guys writers? Uh, Google Docs. Sure. <laughs>
1: yeah, we can Google Docs anytime
0: then. There's, oh, okay, cool. We can do <laughs> yeah. it in real time. That's the
2: future.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> no, the um The last time I really cared about letter writing was, like, four or five years ago when my mom turned 60. She was real bummed out, and so I organized, like, an international letter writing campaign to get her birthday letters and stuff,
0: That's and so, so I still
2: cool. have, yeah, I still have, like, I think we ended up with almost 150 or 200 letters from, like, Australia and Israel and this entire small town in Alabama. Shout out to Ethelsville.
0: Like, <laughs> Still haven't got that broadband. So they're hot on them letters though. Dude, they were on top of
2: it. They were like, I don't know your son. I've never met you, but we saw the Facebook post.
0: Uh, yeah. That's beautiful, man. You're top tier, top tier son material though. That's pretty awesome. But, and, uh, and I, you got you got something
2: ah, i was just gonna say let's talk let's start talking about suffrage i was,
0: I was gonna try and get into that and i want to ask here's a way to segue uh so how did you come upon the idea of just talking about this was there something that uh that that uh, influenced that
2: decision to whom are you asking
0: uh, I suppose John, because I think John approached me about talking to Shalice, so I'm not sure if it came from one or the other of y'all, but...
2: All right. <laughs> I was a little bit tired of just having two white dudes talking about the talk about history. Uh-huh. I was like, we need to put maybe a few different perspectives other than just mine in here. And so I was like, Shalice, you're real smart. You know what you are talking about. You're the archivist. What's the subject that you think you would be super comfortable just like coming up with an episode about and then Chalice was like I'm gesturing at
1: you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and also Ben we have um a centennial coming up of the 19th Amendment in August. Mm-hmm. So that is why I'm researching suffrage.
0: Okay, very cool. And uh so what what is the is there a, like a local slant do you run into some similar characters around here that are like heavily involved in the uh the suffrage movement? Is there any Yeah,
1: actually know? we've I'm sorry.
0: I was just saying is there any leaders like that you've just got on on file kind of?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do actually. The very first suffragist in Alabama um was here in Huntsville. Her name was Priscilla Holmes Drake. And um, they weren't originally from Alabama, they were Yankees. Um, And they moved to Huntsville in 1861, which is a weird time to move to Huntsville because it was like right at the start of the Civil War. Um, But after the war kind of all that settled down in 1868, she was the sole representative of Alabama in the National Women's Suffrage Association for many, 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 many years until the first actual organized suffrage group started.
0: Oh, that's huge. Yeah, and that's uh, that takes some bravery to move to the South during the Civil War and then fight for women's rights. That seems like uh <laughs> it takes a little bit of the gahitspa there for sure. Yes. <laughs> John, you got any anything on that?
2: Well, I mean, I was just thinking like Huntsville was I wouldn't say a unionist stronghold, but definitely more unionist than most places. And then w- we did get occupied in 1862. We were like states rats to own people for like a few years. And then the union army was like, we got you mm-hmm. shut up. But even then it's not like, uh, it's not like the North was progressive on this subject mm-hmm. either. Like the first state, that was into women voting was Wyoming,
0: like way out west. Yeah, yeah, the West,
1: and then in Colorado too. really mm-hmm. thereafter, mm-hmm.
0: do y'all know? Is was that a like? Do you know what might have influenced that? Was it education or just like progressive ideas? Or
2: they wanted single women to move there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it actually tracks pretty closely to uh, some of the first states to have no-fault divorce. And wow, uh, yeah, well, not out there, but some of the first states to have no-fault divorce was like Indiana. And it's because they wanted single women to move to Indiana mm. or they wanted women to move there. And then like, I guess, marry the settlers, right? And so there so, was a
0: good old boy uh, conspiracy, even a foot back then to start that off. <laughs>
2: Yes and uh, <laughs> if you see the if you see some of the old political cartoons from the time mm. uh, th- they also say that it was the Mormons who really? were pulling it off That was a thing that I ran that uh, I remember running into a few years ago was the some of the earliest sort of... Misgivings about women's suffrage was anti Mormon propaganda because people were huh. like, This is just going to give the Mormon men so much power because they all got five wives, and that's one man becomes six voters. And it's like, uh, Shut up.
0: Yeah, that is a stretch. <laughs> yeah, but I was interested because I mean, unfortunately, Alabama has a reputation for being so many years behind any policies that go through most of America. I was wondering, like, suffrage, was that a reflection of that? Or, like, what? where were we on the timeline?
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, suffrage was considered a really radical notion here in Alabama. Um, the first suffrage organization in Alabama actually was started in New Decatur, which is actually just a part of Decatur, uh, by a man named C.J. Hildreth and his wife Ellen Stevens Hildreth, and that was actually in 1892. Um, Suffrage was kind of in, it was enjoying a a resurgence at the time um, because of the progressive movement, which um, the progressive movement kind of came about because America was like rapidly industrializing, and so there were a lot of like labor issues, um, sanitation issues, because cities were growing really rapidly. Um, child labor was a big issue and, and prison reform. Um, so Alabama did hop on the suffrage train, but the groups were very small. They were a little late to the game.
0: So still still lagging behind somewhat.
1: A little bit, yeah. <laughs> and generally speaking, people were not into it.
0: Right, right. Well, <clears throat> go
2: ahead. Would you wanna talk for a second about sort of the start of the suffrage movement to let people know like how far off 1892 is from sort of the beginnings, like the first seeds of it?
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, the suffrage movement actually, it's generally considered by historians to have begun at the Seneca Falls Convention, which I'm sure you all have heard about Sojourner Truth and Ain't I a Woman, like her famous speech there. at Seneca, New York. And that was actually in 1848. So Alabama's first suffrage group didn't organize until 44 years later.
0: Was there a lot of like institutional backlash? Was was there like big church conventions that were uh, in one side or the other? Or do you have any evidence of that?
1: Uh, mostly just everybody was like against suffrage. <laughs> Yeah, 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 pretty much. I mean, they consider uh, the suffragists considered it to be like a really big boon when like the state education, like a state education organization Mm -hmm. endorsed them. But that was like, and I mean, that was like really close to the ratification of the 19th Amendment in 1919. So it wasn't Mm -hmm. like really until the end of the the big suffrage push that uh, people in Alabama were like, nah, okay.
0: So polling is like still an issue today, how we get to the polls, how we vote and all this stuff. I wondered if y'all had insight to like, what voting was like uh, in the age where they were fighting for suffrage, just because I know, I'm sure it was a big deal to have to travel to a city center or something for most of the rural living people, but could y'all talk about that some?
2: Well, I mean, do you Chalice, Do you want to
0: take this one or
1: <laughs> no, no, you go ahead, John.
0: <clears throat> so, so many experts. It's awesome. Just like, <laughs> <laughs> so experts. The,
2: that is, uh, that's why we vote on Tuesdays even now because people had to travel into the city and you weren't going to have a bunch of farmers like traveling on a Sunday mm-hmm. to anywhere but church. Um, So yeah, which is why we vote on Tuesdays now in the year of our Lord 2020. It's a holdover (laughs) from way back in the day. And so you used to, voting was different in almost every municipality. There are places Mm -hmm. where you would just raise your hand and they would count and be like, "This many people. Um, The secret ballot is a new one. Uh, it was one of actually the big reforms that came out during the progressive area. They, they called it the Australian ballot or the secret ballot. And it's still how we vote today where you don't have to publicly declare which candidate you went for. So I don't know if you've ever seen like, I think gangs of New York had a really good uh, sort of representation of this. You would vote openly for mm. a candidate. You could get peer pressured. There would be gangs of people roaming the street, drunkenly rioting pretty much. Uh, Americans would make special cakes for election day, election cakes. Um, It was pretty much a giant festive holiday and there was very high voter participation because all you had to do was buy a newspaper all of the ballots were printed pre-filled in newspapers hmm. and people would rush in. They would vote uh, in some places where women got the vote early on. some men would like just go put on a dress and vote again and be like, I have big old beard I'm voting. And, like okay. it, it was an incredibly corrupt process is what <laughs> I'm getting at. Like, <laughs> Pretty much every election before 1890-something could, would have been invalidated by international observers.
0: Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. So I was wondering... It was some
2: nonsense. Uh,
0: the, <laughs> and uh, I'm sure that, like, there, there was probably a big machine uh, keeping African Americans from voting already and suppressing the way people, like use poll tests and taxes, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, can y'all speak to like what was in place during that time? Like which time? That, uh, during when they were working on suffrage, but before its ratification.
1: Well, um, the 1901 constitutional convention, I know you guys talked about that a little bit in your bicentennial episode, but the main goal of course was to disenfranchise black male voters. <laughs> and establish white supremacy, which today we hear the word white supremacy and we think of a bad thing. Um, but it was like all over the newspaper, the headlines were, you know, Constitution ratified, white supremacy is, you know, it's, it was just everywhere. The The Montgomery advertiser actually read, the citizens of Alabama declare for white supremacy and purity of ballot. The putrid sore of Negro suffrage is severed from the body politic of the Commonwealth. So they um, put in place poll taxes, the grandfather clause, which actually just gave poor white men the ability to vote because their ancestors owned land. Mm -hmm. Um, Illiteracy tests, um, you know, you had to own land to vote, just all of these, Mm. you know, ways of preventing black people from voting.
2: And it's not like they were even sneaky with it. They were oh, yeah. very like overt. I mean, just like she was saying, like, um, it, even in the like openings of the Journal of the Constitutional Convention, they're like, we're specifically doing this to prevent Black people from voting. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Because you had uh, Ruben Kolb, right, 1898. He won, and then the Bourbon Democrats had to rig the election again. Sorry, never mind. But no, um, <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: yeah, if, like Alabama's entire voting system is fundamentally based on mm. the concept of white supremacy. We still An use the 1901 now. Constitution to this day. There's even a uh, there's a sort of family legend. I would have to do more research. About how my great grandmother was, because you had to pay the poll tax. The poll tax also effectively, uh, for a very long time, disenfranchised uh, poor white women, hmm. right? So there's a sort of you had like a little with
0: property rights and stuff, too. <laughs> yeah.
2: So there's a little family legend that like my great grandmother didn't get to vote until the passage of the Twenty Fourth Amendment which removed poll taxes and like, yeah. So a lot of white women weren't even allowed to vote in Alabama until the 1960s.
0: Dang, that's insane. So did they ever, did the establishment ever get to a point where they're uh, like, well, uh, all the black folks get to vote now. We'll, we'll help. We'll do, we'll get suffrage going or we'll get women voters to like outbalance them. Did they ever try and turn the two against each other? I guess suffrage uh, came previously, of course, but
1: um, yeah, race was a big, was very much at the heart of the suffrage argument. Um, previous to the, um, 15th Amendment, suffragists and Black men worked together to, uh, you know, work towards suffrage together. Um, and then after the 15th, 15th Amendment, where it was decided that you couldn't discriminate against you couldn't prevent men from voting because of their race um suffragists were kind of like uh the white women suffragists kind of departed from partnering with men they were were, huh
2: they departed from the civil rights movement
1: yeah 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 they just they just um you know they were not um supportive of i guess black men voting as much because they didn't have the vote um, and race, like I said, was always at the heart of the suffrage argument in the South, but ad- actually nationwide as well, with many anti-suffragists uh, being hesitant to give women the vote because they didn't want Black women to be able to vote. to vote, um, And they thought this would give the Black community an advantage. And then the mm-hmm. counter argument often used by white suffragists was that white women outnumbered both African-American men and women at the time. So giving women the vote would allow the white vote to overwhelm the black vote. Um, But I will say that Alabama suffragists really didn't uh, bring race into their arguments uh, for why women should have the vote. They tended to kind of stick to arguments that were focused on women needing equal representation. So that's not Mm -hmm. necessarily what you would expect from, you know, a bunch of Southern ladies.
0: Right, right.
2: Although one would think like, because you had the anti-suffragist leagues as well, right? You had the whole concept of better citizens without the ballot. And so I do think probably the majority of women in Alabama were in the anti-suffragist camp, or the majority of white women in Alabama were in the anti-suffragist camp for a long time. And the okay. ones that were progressive enough to be suffragists didn't need to use some of the older arguments about how they would pretty much be a fifth column, keeping like black people down in the United States.
1: That's a good perspective. I like that perspective, John.
2: I mean, that's just me spitballing. I'm probably wrong.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's history. <laughs>
2: yeah, Because <laughs> I mean, there, there were anti-suffragists, right? Do you, mm-hmm. did you, have you run into any, um, have you run into any of the anti-suffragist movement like that were led by women? Not just the ones where white men were like, mm. "What the hell are y'all doing? Get back in the kitchen!" Like,
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah, there were a lot of female anti-suffragists. Absolutely, I mean, like I said, the suffrage group in Huntsville in Alabama—they were—they were a very—they were a minority for sure. So
0: mm-hmm. yeah, a
1: lot of uh, white anti-suffragist women, and and um, well, you know, a famous. Um, Mother Jones was a famous anti-suffragist, right? So she was working for labor reform, but she was like, you know, if, if women didn't have to work in the mines, they could stay home with their kids. They don't need to vote. They need to not have to work. So,
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, I mean, it was, a, it was a huge movement.
0: And that, that kind of touches on, I mean, we're talking a lot about voting rights, but just uh, property rights, rights to in, in law and everything were very sketchy. Uh, in the 1800s can y'all give us like or sure at least maybe you can talk about like while they were fighting for uh, the right to vote what other rights did they not have <laughs> <laughs> or it may be shorter to just say which ones did they have
1: <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> um, that's a good question I don't know John can you think of anything specifically that women were able to do
2: so in Okay, so when we talk about rights, it's always a good good idea to point out the exact time that you want and the exact place that you want. Mm-hmm. Because even in New Jersey, right, in New Jersey up until like 1804, unmarried property-owning white women were allowed to vote,
0: hmm. right? Mm-hmm. In
2: Alabama, unmarried white women could own property and they could and i've i know i've mentioned this like nine times but they could serve as a next friend in a court case and they Mm. could sue people Mm -hmm. i've found court cases where like unmarried white women were suing people right but as soon as you got married a lot of those rights went away because suddenly you were part of a legal unit Mm -hmm. that was represented solely by the man um and of course, you also have to take into class, like class, into consideration. Mm. Uh, so really, just who had what rights when is a super nebulous sort of yeah. question.
0: Yeah. You know, like um, I guess I was, I was trying to imagine like what how what a legal standing of a a, a single woman might be in the mid eighteen hundreds. I suppose. I mean, 1900s. <laughs> honestly, honestly, which is what I'm. 19- yeah, 1850s
1: It's based on like Alabama law or or county law.
2: And then, of course, you would have local legislation, which was super popular in Alabama, where they might even pass a law and being like, that would say like, just this one person is allowed to do this thing.
0: Oh, great. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, (laughs) I I got a question like uh, that kind of leads me to another question. Uh, from, from places like Huntsville, as opposed to like the middle of the state rural area, like totally rural areas, what was the, uh, differences there? Would you, would you all, could y'all spitball at that? I know that's pretty nebulous too. Were you, were you, were you better off being in the city or were you just like, there's just way more things you can't do?
2: (laughs) It depends on the time. (laughs) Uh, Um, One of the first elections that ever took place, if we're just talking about voting rights in general, one of the first elections that ever took place in the Mississippi territory, they had to go and amend all of the voting rights laws because they had put a property, uh, they had said you had to own a certain amount of property in order to vote, and they didn't realize that they disenfranchised all of their bankers, they had disenfranchised all of their like cotton gin owners, uh, and so they just took out like the entire merchant class and it was just mm-hmm. a bunch of like Bubba's out in Washington County and they were like, I'm gonna do whatever I want. And so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so pretty much time in Alabama history, someone does something, it's a bad idea, and then they tweak it a little bit to make it a little bit easier for rich white people and then they uh,
0: stop. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so so talking about like some of the uh, the s- suffrage laws and stuff they were trying to pass, d- was there any lawyer class helping these women out? Like, was there any legislators that came out on the side um, of suffrage, Chalice? Oh, I think John, oh, John wants to address one. this John's one. got one.
2: Oh, no, yeah. I was gonna ignore the question altogether.
0: He's got something. Uh, No,
2: in 1919, when they passed the resolution to uh, to pass the resolution in the U.S. Congress to be like, hey, women can vote now. Um, Only one member of Alabama's entire congressional delegation voted in favor of it out of 11 people. Uh, That would be William Bacon Oliver who was from Utah, Alabama, same same city as Condoleezza Rice, fun fact, hmm. but he was the only person uh, in total, Alabama's entire congressional delegation, Senate and House. But what I was gonna do was, some of the early suffragist stuff, I was gonna ask Shalice, because we were talking about sort of wealthier white women and the suffragist movement, if she could speak a little bit about like the Chapman sisters and Virginia Clay Clopton because she's done a lot of research on those humans.
1: Oh yeah, those are our Huntsville gals, our Huntsville suffrage gals. Um, So suffrage in Alabama actually kind of came in two waves. So the first wave was the um, Hildreth and Francis Griffin. Um, the first, you know, suffrage groups and then the second, and it ended with the 1901 constitution. So they were working towards, um, a clause in the 1901, a suffrage clause in the 1901 constitution. It didn't happen and it kind of died off for like 11 years. Um, and then the second wave started. So Huntsville's first suffrage group was called the Huntsville League for Women's Suffrage. And it was founded not long after the Decatur group, so in 1894, a couple years later. And um, like John said, uh, Virginia Clay Clopton, um, Ellie Chapman-Humes, and Alberta Chapman-Taylor were very much leaders in that movement. Along with Priscilla Holmstrake, she finally got to be a part of a suffrage group here in Alabama. Bless her. Virginia Clay Clopton. Years. Yeah, <laughs> You yeah. waited so long.
0: You convinced was- yet? It's been most of your life. I don't know, I don't know how long people <laughs> live. Uh,
1: I mean, yeah, she was like what in her? She would have been in her 80s at that point. But um, Virginia Clay Clopton, I you, I know John's heard of her before, but she's kind of a, a famous Alabamian and Huntsvilleian and arguably one of Huntsville's most known, well-known suffragists. Her um, her first husband was Clement Claiborne Clay. He was a U.S. senator uh, when Alabama seceded from the Union, so um, they were uh, staunch Confederates. And we have Virginia Clay Clop- Clopton to thank for bringing the United Daughters of the Confederacy to Huntsville. She started our first group. Um, and then her her father <laughs> her father in law was a U.S. senator, uh, Clement. Uh, Comer Clay, and he was the eighth governor of Alabama. So she was very well connected politically. Mm. Um, and she was also like an extremely charming person. I think John wants to interject.
2: Oh no, I just, uh, um, Clement Clomer Clay, I don't know if anyone remembers the Gabriel Moore episode, but he was the guy that him and Gabriel Moore were in the same stagecoach for 400 miles and they hated each other so much that like <laughs> neither one of them talked. <laughs> they just <laughs> stared
0: icily. Uh, Dang, it's a long time.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a true story. I mean, he hated Gabriel Moore. <laughs>
2: <laughs> they were both governors of Alabama, but yeah. Yes. That's not enough. Very that
0: wasn't enough.
1: Very different politics. They were very states' rights. Um,
0: were these mostly yeah. upper class women? Yeah,
1: yeah, definitely super upper class before the Civil War. Afterwards, Mm. I think, um, I mean, they really suffered some financial ruin (laughs) after the Civil War. So um, uh, they're, they're considered middle class, but I I think they had a lot of debt. Um, Virginia actually married a judge. So uh, once her first husband died, she married a judge. So I think she was like more middle class then. Mm. Did you have anything you wanted to add, John?
2: Um, just if, if you're out in Gurley, there's a historic marker for Idlewild. Was it Idlewild or Wildwood? Wildwood. Wildwood, sorry. For Wildwood, which was, um, well, you, you tell them what Wildwood was.
1: Uh, so Wildwood was, uh, Virginia and Clement Clayborne Clay's home out in Gurley. It was like kind of after they sold their... Their house in town and their house on Sano because they couldn't afford to, you know, continue having a, you know, plant doing plantation farming, and uh, the United Daughters of the Confederacy actually put that historical marker up, so they funded it, and recently it was turned into a quarry, and they're using the historic home as an office for. <laughs> Oh, the people yeah. who are worried, <laughs> and they took that historical marker and threw it in the ditch.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was about to say. Well, is the marker still there? Well, the, <sighs>
1: the daughters came and got it, and they um, they put it across the street. To talk about all of um, Clement Claiborne Clay's liquor bottles that he threw out back of <laughs> uh, the Wildwood House because he, uh, well, I mean he was in ruin after the Civil War, so he mm. turned to alcohol.
2: Yeah, and if anyone doesn't know who Nancy Rohr is, she's like Huntsville's history mom. Like, uh, I ran into her at the archives one time, and I was like, oh. and I made Catherine, my wife, take a photo of the two of us together, and Nancy Rohr was just very uncomfortable comfortable the entire time <laughs> she was like i don't know who you are why are you talking about you reading all of
0: my books like oh. yeah
1: john's a nancy roar fangirl
0: <laughs> when the quarantine comes down it's it's gonna be historian social hour we gotta like we have to we protect get nancy, nancy a, roar yeah <laughs> protect nancy
1: yeah she's currently uh quarantined in her nursing home. So mm-hmm. it will be a while before we see Nancy out in the world again, I miss her so much. <laughs> um, so so back to our suffragists. Mm-hmm. Um, as I was saying, Virginia was very charming and very much an Alabama celebrity. So she brought a lot of, actually a lot of notoriety to the suffrage um, cause. And she would she would serve as president of the Alabama Suffrage Association in 1896. So during the first wave. Uh, The Chapman sisters were the daughters of Alabama Governor Reuben Chapman, and they also had a lot of political connections. Alberta Chapman Taylor actually lived in Colorado, which we said earlier gave uh, women the right to vote in 1893. So she knew what it was like to be able to vote, and she really wanted that for the women of Alabama. Um, a pivotal moment for Huntsville's fledgling suffrage group was when the Chapman sisters brought Carrie Chapman, the cat, and Susan B. Anthony, so famous, uh, suffragists to speak about suffrage here in Huntsville. And the event was like totally packed, very well attended, and even the anti-suffragist guy who liked to put nasty, um, articles in the newspaper about the suffragists admitted that these women were very well-spoken and very charming. And after the presentation, the Huntsville League signed up like a whole bunch of new members. So it was a really big thing oh, nice. for yeah. them. Uh, it was a really important be- event for the first wave suffragists.
0: Do you, was that just um, like uh, outside the courthouse or do you know? It was super picky um, random question. You know, I
1: think it was, I think it was at the YMCA. I want to say it was mm. at the YMCA, but I don't remember exactly. So I'm already that sure it was interesting.
0: At the YMCA. Now I've got a whole new thing to dig into the YMCA of Alabama, like way back in. The yeah, race.
1: unfortunately, that building's not standing anymore. But you
0: know. oh, right, it was
2: on um, West Church Street or something. I I just remember because I was doing uh, research on the 1918 flu outbreak here, and they had. Uh, they turned the YMCA into a uh, into a hospital for flu patients because it got so bad for a while. Fun fact, it got to the point where the only medical professional in the entire county was a single pharmacist. Ooh.
1: Oh, no.
2: Yeah, everyone else is dead. <laughs> um, oh. <clears throat> brutal. Yeah. Nice. Uh, Chapman Mountain is named mm-hmm. after Reuben Chapman, mm-hmm. just in case people, because Chapman was also... In Huntsville,
0: right. I'm right beside Chapman Mountain. I got the bus at Chapman School, so like, yeah, it's all over. <laughs> These are. Uh... I was curious. I was like, I bet it's the dude. I bet it's the dude.
2: Yeah, this is your backyard, Ben. Yeah. So, uh, got uh, a sweet
1: mansion up there.
0: <laughs> I, I wanted to. This gave me an idea for a game to play later: is getting John to draw a map of old Huntsville from memory, because he probably he probably doesn't. <laughs> oh my it for gosh. Fun.
2: No, I, I could not. Are you kidding me? <laughs> what is old Huntsville?
0: Like yeah, that's yeah, what, that's, well, that's the thing. Okay, okay. 1882. Boy, eighteen eighty two. Boy Biggest building in hard. Huntsville, eighteen eighty
2: two. Go. No, I
0: mean we don't we don't know. There
2: weren't great maps. <laughs> they would make a map every twenty years.
0: Like I'll just have to choose the right year and then it'll be good
2: yeah like the the 1871 cholera outbreak there's a really good map of the city and then beautiful nothing until sanborn shows up so we don't know
0: um yeah is there so i have a question about uh shalice did you run into any other like prominent suffragists from other parts of alabama i know uh Alabama has a weird, like, history with mobile, and like it's just kind of a stretched out place. But do you have any info on that? Mm-hmm. Well, us,
1: um, uh, I think Birmingham was very much a center of suffrage activity in Huntsville. Um, yeah, Patty Alabama. Ruffner and Jacobs. Uh, I'm sorry, Alabama. Uh, Patty Ruff, Ruffner Jacobs actually started the second wave of suffrage in Alabama. Um, So she was she started the Birmingham group and she was involved in um, she was fighting against child labor. So she was involved in child labor reform and she realized that she wasn't really going to make any progress with that unless women were able to vote, unless she was able to vote, essentially. Yeah. So um, so that's when she started a suffrage group. um, And that was about 1911. And then she formed uh, with some other women, Bossy O'Brien Hunley is another kind of prominent suffragist from Birmingham. And uh, then they, they also formed the state organization a year later. And then they reached out to all the counties and uh, big cities, oh. big cities it's relative in mm-hmm. Alabama and tried to reform, <laughs> uh, reform the suffrage groups that were there during the first wave.
0: Well, I'm sure with all the, uh, industry in Birmingham, like workers' rights was a flashpoint and like a place, uh, where some, they got some traction. And I think a lot about, uh, just cause I see it every day, like outside my door, the mill culture, kind of how mm-hmm. mills would come in, build an industry, literally build out all this. They decide where people lived. They provide mm-hmm. the markets and like, I can only imagine, uh, and in industry is extremely influential on in how people end up doing politics.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um Birmingham was an interesting place though because the rest of Alabama had this very sort of like old settler anglo feel and in Birmingham you had Greeks moving in, you had Croats, right? Like all of those catholic churches down in Birmingham are from croatian immigrants that moved in in like the 1880s and 1890s you had um pretty much every kind of people was showing up in birmingham and so it was very much something different from the rest of the state Mm -hmm. early on in its sort of immigration profile but then you also had uh tci who was just uh doing the most awful things imaginable so they were just going around and then pretty much re-enslaving people and making them work in the mines and stuff mm-hmm. tennessee coal and iron if you don't know now you know um yeah that's anyways it's birmingham um big old slavery by another name lots of <laughs> lots of evil down there yeah. um Do we want to, so we're getting into sort of this 1912 to 1915 range. Do you want to touch on the appeal to the legislature in 15 or?
1: Oh yeah, sure. Um, so the Alabama suffragists were working up to, um, an amendment to the Alabama constitution. Of course, they were all very much in support or primarily in support of states rights politics, right? We're still in Alabama. So they were like, we would much prefer to have a amendment to the state constitution than a federal amendment. Um, But it wasn't even put on the ballot. So they didn't even really get a chance. You know, the, the men of Alabama didn't get a chance to vote for a suffrage amendment. Um, but they kept their sights, uh, well, they didn't get, you know, um, disappointed like they did after the 1901, um, defeat. They just got back to, they set their sights basically on the amendment to the U.S. Constitution. And, um, I wish I could say that they had a really great impact on the fight, uh, for the 19th Amendment, but they... So the National Suffrage Organization kind of laid out a plan for how the suffragists were going to um, work towards the 19th Amendment. And so the Alabama ladies tried really hard to follow their plan. They organized. They were lobbying. um, They were doing everything that the national people wanted. But uh, the national suffragists just basically went through and classified all the states as... You know lost causes or battleground states Mm. and alabama fell very firmly into the lost cause category Mm. so usually um (laughs) (laughs) yeah but they were like you know cars were uh like a new and novel thing so they were uh the alabama suffragists were like you know driving cars all around the state like trying to raise awareness for their cause and everything Mm. Um, But, of course, Alabama did not vote to ratify the 19th Amendment in 1919, and, in fact, did not ratify the amendment even symbolically until
0: 1953,
2: so. Wow. Yeah. Uh, We beat, we did beat the last state, the very last state to ratify the 19th Amendment was Mississippi. Um, I knew it!
0: Thank and God they did for it. Mississippi.
2: It's the, They're the only ones making us look good. And that's not even a crack on Mississippi. I love Mississippi. I love going to Mississippi. I love getting we the love fried chicken from the gas station, the, like, white snack. Like, oh, yeah, it's yeah. so good. Uh, but I love Slug Burgers. Shout out to Corinth, Mississippi.
0: Oh, my dad's but, from uh, Corinth. Hey. Yeah, man, Yeah, yeah.
2: Oh yeah, your dad plays the banjo. I forgot, but uh, <laughs> Mississippi ratified it in 1984.
1: Nice. So
2: that means Alabama <laughs> beat the? Florida, South Carolina, Georgia, Louisiana, and North Carolina, and that's it.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh man. Go team. <laughs> well, I've I've learned I've learned so much. I, I enjoy. You're this gonna learn
2: some more. We're about to talk about Alice Balbridge.
0: Okay, it's going down. <laughs> oh, John's all about
1: talking about Alice Baldridge. Okay,
0: Baldridge all Sorry. day, all day.
2: Baldrige. So, Shalise <laughs> is going to talk about Alice Baldridge, but I'm going to very briefly set the scene. We're in 1916. Okay. All right. Huntsville in 1916 is an incredibly turbulent place. A man named Thomas Terry had just won an election for mayor after introducing a reform amendment to end the sort of like just council system that we had, we didn't have a mayor for a long time. They would be informally called a mayor, but they were just elected by the board of aldermen. And so it was very much an oligarchic system. So there was this guy named Thomas Terry, who was like, no, this is some nonsense. We're gonna have a mayor. So he sued, it was a whole hullabaloo. Um, Liquor was illegal in the city. And so there had been bootlegging going on and there was a judge, a probate judge. Do you remember a probate judge? Yeah, he was a probate judge. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, a probate
2: judge was murdered and they found his body in the Tennessee river. And then the sheriff committed suicide because (laughs) the sheriff uh, was a suspect. And then Mm -hmm. a really prominent lawyer also committed suicide because they, the lawyer was also suspected of having operated with the sheriff to kill off this probate judge because they were running their own liquor industry. By the way, we should probably do an episode on this one. And, (laughs) And then, um, so it was a time of reform. Public servants were being capped left and right. Uh, it was in the middle of the Great Migration. So there were uh, a large percentage of the county's Black people were like, we're done with this. We're going to Chicago. What is wrong with y'all? Quit killing us. And mm-hmm. so it was a really, really interesting time in the city's history. And then this happened. she please go. Wow.
1: Okay. Um, I feel like Alice Baldridge may not live up to that intro, but <laughs>
2: <laughs> no she does
1: she was pretty she was pretty remarkable uh, she was very much a standout member of the huntsville equal suffrage Associ- association uh she was giving speeches all over the state she was uh, representing alabama at the national suffrage conventions and in 1966 she actually ran for uh, a spot on this huntsville city school board which it was it was recently um made a new law that women could run for that yeah, for that particular position. Um, and her election was a huge win for the suffragists. They were working really hard um, campaigning for her. And in um, the Huntsville Mercury of 1916, October 1916, she <laughs> She um, gives some anti-suffrage, like she gives some sick burns to the anti-suffrage guys, Um, basically. She says, I ran absolutely independently of any machines and won. I confessed I did not expect to. The idea of a woman holding elective office was so new that I feared the prejudice against it would be insurmountable. But I felt I should serve a good purpose if I only made it easier for the next woman. I have had happy, hearty laughs with many of the dear, delightful, but inconsistent anti-suffrage gentlemen friends who couldn't bear the idea of women in politics, yet voted for the very first woman who ran for office. Oh, but they said, it was because we thought you were so well-fitted for the office. I said, that is all we suffragists are asking, to be permitted to serve when fitted if we wish. And most of all, to be allowed to help choose those who are fitted. And I'm still waiting for the first intelligent rejoinder.
0: <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice.
1: Yeah, the suffragists were really good for Sig burns. They oh, always had to yeah. come back. Um, yep. So Alice's husband, speaking of the uh, Spanish influenza, he was actually a physician and he was one of the people who died. He actually died in 1917 Um, of the Spanish Influenza. And so she actually became the sole caretaker of her family. So she, in an instant, became the very person that she was fighting for, the woman who didn't have a husband to represent them politically. Fortunately, she had actually been studying for a career in law. Um, She passed the bar in 1918 and she became Huntsville's first female lawyer. Oh nice. And then she left and went to New York for the rest of her life. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was dope, she see was y'all. Bye y'all. <laughs> she was like
2: I'm a blaze a trail and <laughs> it's going <laughs> to lie away <crazy> another place. <laughs> yeah.
1: But that's like only slightly a misrepresentation because her daughter did stay here and she had mm. family here and she visited here a lot and she continued to own land. She actually mm. owned some of the land that would be purchased by the government for a redstone arsenal so she always had some roots in huntsville
2: a cool character
1: yeah definitely super cool.
0: and I it's like awesome. the lead I just up
2: love... was good. oh it was, it was... <laughs> she, she she lived up to it
0: i just yeah, love hearing I... those uh, i just love hearing those words from like so many years ago being like just like Yes, <laughs> real salty. Real salty. <laughs> you gotta, You got to be kind of uh, spicy, you know what I'm saying? Like to, to blaze yeah. trails in Bama.
2: So I went and I double checked because uh, some states like actually Mississippi and Louisiana allowed uh, limited, right, limited suffrage for women where they could vote for the local school board or for in municipal elections or even in some states they could vote for president but then nobody else right so it was like this very mixed system and so in Alabama there was never any there was never any lessening of that right Mm -hmm. so when Alice Waldrich won everyone who voted for her was a man
1: Mm
2: -hmm. (laughs) so there wasn't even I was like you know, when I was re- when I was rereading it the first time, I was like, well, maybe there was just this sudden wave of turnout for a school right. board election, because I remembered that some states allowed that. But no, like Alabama was like, why would you vote for school board? Like, mm-hmm. get out of here.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. to have to, like, go go to the people that probably don't want to give you any power and and then, like, pry it from them. It's mm. <laughs> <is> impressive <laughs> yeah they were
1: tough ladies
0: do we have any other uh characters to get into
1: well we covered all of our huntsville ladies for the most part
0: all right. there were
1: definitely some cool um african-american suffragists mm-hmm. but they were mostly um over at tuskegee right.
0: um
1: but they were doing some really great things with like the tuskegee women's group um well, they weren't actually suffragists. They were more like, um, they were parts of women's clubs. So they were doing um, prison reform. They were working towards prison reform. They were uplifting people in the black community. Um, so they did things like they created a night school for people who were day laborers to get, oh, wow. um, yeah, to be able to get an education. Um, Mother's you know, Club. Let's, were,
2: let's give them a shout out. Say some names.
1: Oh, Okay. Yeah. Uh, Well, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, Margaret Murray Washington was um, actually, are you guys, I know John's familiar with Booker T. Washington. She was Mm -hmm. um, his wife, and she pretty much ran the show over there at Tuskegee. Um, But the African-American suffragist that, well, she was actually, Adela Hunt Logan was the only African American suffragist in Alabama. That was like part of the national organization. So she was mm. the only one. Um, and she was also a teacher at the Tuskegee Institute. Um, and if you Google her, you'll actually see that she um, appears to be white. She looks white. Um, her ancestry is Cherokee, white, and African American. So she was culturally African American, but she could pass as white. Although she didn't like to, it made her really nervous um, because, you know, Black people have been killed for less. Um, But when the National Suffrage Association held their annual convention in Atlanta, she attended Passing as White, of course, because it was segregated. So in that way, she was able to bring back the message of suffrage to the women at Tuskegee. But um, the Black community or Black women really kind of approached reform of black communities in a holistic way so suffrage wasn't really a deal breaker for them they weren't like we really need suffrage probably because black men had been so disenfranchised it was like well if we get it we may not even be able to exercise that right
0: right so
1: but adela was really neat she um and she really believed in suffrage um, but she had the whole, like, dichotomy of a person who was culturally African-American but appeared to be white. And so, like, you know, she could pass as white and attend certain events, but as a Black person who looked white, she couldn't attend other events. For instance, mm-hmm. she was asked not to attend the 1895 World Cotton Exposition in Atlanta, which was where Booker T. Washington gave a very famous speech um, about the education of, of African-Americans. And and Adela actually helped him revise the speech, um, but they actually, they asked her not to come because they didn't want people to mistake her for a white woman. So she didn't get to attend it at all.
2: Yeah. You need to add and, um, Oh, I was just, She later in life suffered like a breakdown after Washington's death and did tragically, uh, jump off one of the buildings at the Tuskegee campus. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, the, uh, the world broke her a little bit. That was sad, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but, uh, just a few short years after her death, 19th amendment passed. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: It' was really sad to me that she didn't get to to see that
0: yeah she never got I, to vote. I got a question about like uh I'm not sure I'll try and be more specific first wave of of suffragists uh was there a big secular element to these movements or were they faith based in any way I'd uh, just like to ask that question because of the history of the church being involved kind of <laughs>
1: Not that I saw. I mean, I think it was a part of of every everyday life very much, but it wasn't like the temperance movement where you know it was very Christianity based. Well, I mean, more
0: secular organizations in general, with the women's groups, and I don't think
1: anything was secular then.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's just not.
2: Yeah, secular in that they didn't specifically put the name Christian in the title (laughs) of the organization. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, like the WCTU was very upfront
0: about how they were gonna deal with everything. But yeah, like, yeah. So we have any uh, closing subjects? What questions should we have asked Shalise that we didn't ask? oh dang that's good what should we what should we
1: have asked no no i thought you guys um asked really good questions i do want to tell a story about adela hunt logan though um she so she really wanted a bicycle um so that she wouldn't have to ride in the carriage with her husband and like um schedule her schedule around his schedule to go places and he was like no ma'am we're not getting a bicycle." you'd have to wear bloomers and you're not going to scandalize everybody on campus with the bloomers. And she was like, well, I've got my own money. So I'm going to buy that bicycle and those bloomers. And she e- <laughs> she it. was just going all over. Go. Oh yes. Wheels of change. Yes. Um, yep. She was just, yeah, it was a very much a symbol of freedom for her to be able to ride
0: away. Yeah. I never thought about that as just the bicycle alone being like a a huge motivator to just like, yeah, you go wherever you want. Yeah.
2: Yeah. In the 1890s and early 1910s, uh, the bicycle was very much kind of a stand in for like women's freedom because suddenly Mm -hmm. they could just go places. Mm-hmm. Fought slightly far away and so yeah like the women's movement was all about bicycles
1: it's how I would it's like the modern equivalent of getting a Roomba today
0: yeah. <laughs> all of a sudden I a, I don't have to sweep four
1: a times a week
0: I, I, I have remember. always had like carpet or a tragic living situation, so Ruma was never an like an option. Where I was like, yeah, that robot'll do it. <laughs> a tragic
2: living situation, you say? I've been to I your mean, house. I mean,
0: my roommates. My roommates. Uh, you know, there's always a lot of them.
2: <laughs> your basement is a recording studio. You're fine.
0: It's much better now. It's much more legit. Yeah, <laughs> it's way, it's way, it's way better, man. But uh, I do have a couple closing questions. What do you got and I'll ask, I'll ask Shalise and then, Shalise uh, and then John, uh, what do you think people misconstrue generally about the late 1800s, 1890s-ish of Alabama? I'll try and get specific. Does that help? Ooh. <laughs> or just in general of the, of the, of the past? What's the one thing?
1: Um, hmm. I'm not sure. Maybe. Uh, maybe they thought we were a little bit more uh, well less less sophisticated than we were. What do you think, John?
2: On the sophistication one, um, well, Anne Newport Royal letters from Alabama, right
1: mm-hmm.
2: she She talks about how the biggest buzz in town when she visited Huntsville. Was because a new chemistry textbook had come out and everyone read it and they were sitting around getting drunk talking about vapors and like
1: that sounds like a great party
2: yeah they were like Heck. when the miasma takes you and you know like so definitely even frontier huntsville people were big nerds mm-hmm. and then they mm-hmm. stabbed each other a lot like there was it was it was a strange place.
0: Um Well I said I'm glad it may it never change in some certain ways, in <laughs> very specific ways the rest <laughs> of <could> it, <change. laughs>
2: But yeah, like everyone was like reading textbooks and yelling at each other about that and then sometimes getting incredibly intoxicated and playing the banjo at two AM under Amen. some dude's window. Like yeah. Uh Maybe all tell the
0: knows? <laughs>
2: All the stereotypes are true, but not
0: in the way you think they are. Mm. (laughs) It's all true, but we also got down on them chemistry books, Mm y'all.
1: Yeah. We have the oldest library in the state,
0: so. That's true. That's true. Do y'all ever go over there and just, like, check out the fire situation? Like, make sure they're using all the proper, you know? Because I know fire is a huge deal for libraries. Are you guys on the prowl just being like, this one's not going down?
1: (laughs) Uh, yes, actually, I am constantly uh, assessing the archives <laughs> and making sure that yes. everything is safe. There are no leaks. Uh, the humidity is at the correct temperature. <laughs> so yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I'm so glad you're there. But and uh, do you? And this is a question for both of y'all. Start with Shilise. Do you have a favorite piece of physical history? You can't say that in umbilical cord. We already went over that one okay that 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 you come back to
1: yeah i would say so um we have three portraits of people from the clay family so we have a a portrait of virginia clay clopton as a young woman and we have uh, a portrait of clement comer clay and john withers clay and um they were painted by kind of a, a popular portrait artist um in the mid 1800s that I mean, like I said, my my undergraduate degree is in art, so I very much identify with with art pieces. So, um, all the paintings that we have, we have several others. Those are just examples, but all the paintings that we have are, are do special we have to specialty.
0: Do you have any photos of that? Like, I'd love to like put that up with the. With
1: oh yeah, absolutely. I oh, can send them to you, sure. Um, and and then also Maria Howard Whedon art pieces. We've got several of those as well, um, and her Old correspondence. But, I'm sorry.
2: Oh, I was just saying good old Howard. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah, Those are pretty amazing, so.
2: That is cool. Um, Dr. Fearn's medical journal. Yeah. Probably, just because it was one of the, when I was an intern up at the archives, originally I was supposed to transcribe Fearn's medical journal, but then they were like, hey bud, instead you're gonna input all of the reconstruction of the 1890 census. And so here's like three, 400 pages. And I was like, oh, this is not what I signed up for. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Because they lost the 1890 census, it it burned down, right? So they're having to like put it back together. But uh, when I did get to finally look at Dr. Fearn's medical journal, it was the first very, very old thing I ever touched. Mm. so they like they have the gloves and you have to like put on the gloves and you take it out the box and you open it and I'm just like I can't read
0: this yet like Mm -hmm.
2: yeah
0: well that's awesome so so how do people get into this is there any place or address people can like bring stuff to donate to the archives or anything oh yeah yeah just if they're interested
1: We're on the third floor of the downtown Huntsville Library on Monroe Street. So, um, you know, it's a little crazy with the pandemic and everything. I think we'll be, um, you know, when the library reopens to the public, we're going to be by appointment only. But I love, you know, showing people the archives and helping researchers. And if anybody wants to donate, um, you know, just come see me up at the library.
0: And uh, all right, I got, I, I keep saying it's like the last question, but Shalise, is there any body we should interview on the show? That you any? You oh, see? anybody
1: you should interview?
0: Yeah, yeah. Do you think, is there someone waiting in the wing? We need to get oh. on. Oh, the- uh,
1: well, John said that he was going to have Vaughn Bukino on mm-hmm. at some point, and he's really great. I was going to
0: try and
2: get him, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, another person, I mean, there are some really great um, historians in town. Uh, Sarah Carmack is somebody who she's affiliated with the League of Women Voters and she's doing some amazing research on suffragists and also on the people who um, registered to vote right you know it, as soon as they were able to. Um, so uh, yeah she would be an amazing person to have on as well.
0: Well thank you so much again for doing this. This is an awesome talk. It's my pleasure. I'm always blown away with like y'all's uh magical intuition on the past it is something <laughs> is very interesting to me john you got any anything we need to talk about before we close
2: um no uh do you, are there any projects that you want to give a shout out to that are happening at the archive or any research that you want to get a spotlight on very briefly because we've got like eight people want... that listen to this show so it's oh, a big deal okay.
1: <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, yes, uh, there there is some research that I'm interested in. So you know how we talked about um, the Tuskegee Women's Club. Mm-hmm. I am I'm interested to know if there were if there were cons, um, comparable groups here in Huntsville because of course we had A and M University. It was uh, the Normal School then, but. Um, you know, we had a similar environment here for Black people, so mm-hmm. um, I haven't really found any, um, any clues about women's groups that are similar to what was happening in Tuskegee, but it would be really cool if we could uncover something like that here. Um, and then as far as projects go, we actually were doing a big um, digital harvest, like a community digitization project where we're going mm-hmm. to places in the community and then asking people to bring whatever family records they have, and then we will digitize them and make them available online. Um, We have a a nice digital archive online. It's digitalarchives.hmcpl.org. So you can go and see all of our historic photographs there. Um, We've also been uh, doing a questionnaire for people about the pandemic. So, you know, what they're going through, Mm. um, just to kind of record for the future, what life was like for people here in Madison County during the pandemic
0: so that's just a few but thank you again uh i had a ton of fun hunts villain is a podcast recorded at spice rack studios in huntsville alabama you can check out john's blog with information from the podcast and more info at huntsvillain.wordpress.com and on facebook under hunt's villain. Podcast is hosted and written by Mr. John O'Brien and co-hosted by Ben Joe. Thank you to our donors and volunteers who are the sole supporters of Spice Radio. If you want to help support Spice Radio, go to SpiceradioHuntsville.com and click Donate. And remember you can find great local music and podcasts 24-7 at spiceradiohuntsville.com. Thanks for listening and stay spicy.